Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Talk Recorded live. It's working. Wow. Welcome to Cellar Dwellers Home Winemaking Talkcast with Dave Nelson and the other guy. Wow, we've got real sound effects here. It's, we do have sound and effects. And we've got mics. We sound better than ever. I hope we do because <laughs> the audio has changed. You're always throwing a curve at me. It's a little different. I can't hear you through my headphones nor me. Can you hear me through your headphones? No. Um, and that's by design. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first one to not tell me that. Not the first one to tell you that. Hey, so it's uh, great to be back again. I'm Dave, and, and you I are? I am the other guy, the and it is wine. the wine season of the year. It is the wine season. Booga fact, booga. Uh, we are going to be talking about the wine season tonight. Uh, it is uh, just so much fun. We're in the middle of a whole bunch of stuff. We actually have an agenda. You know, I did five minutes worth of planning here. We have an agenda. An agenda for the show, which is rare. And I and this is the this is my favorite part. I'm picking up the paper that the agenda is printed on and looking at my wine stained fingers. Ooh, I love it. No, I, I was I was in church yesterday, and two different people came up and said, "What were you?" Changing the transmission fluid in your car, and I had. To, but what was great? It led to a story about about wine making. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll talk about it in more detail as we get deeper into the show. But of course, we we did some pressing last Friday and some crushing. Mm, on to do both of both in the same part. weekend. Wow. Amazing. Also on tonight's show, we're going to talk about uh, something we haven't done. We've talked about a lot of topics that are passionate one, but uh, we have not really talked about. Aging wines. By the way, on the agenda, all of the items marked with your name, that's where you talk. The rest of the part, I talk, okay? Okay, I don't see my name anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show there are actually no names on the agenda. Sure. So we're, we're holding to the norm to here tonight. balance it out. But we're, we're going to talk about aging wines, you know, how long, um, in what should you age, where to store the bottles, and tonight's wine gadget, don't give it away, but tonight's wine gadget right here on the table is related to aging, in a sense. Mm. I will, you know, connect it as we get into it. Wonderful. Oh, man, I was out, uh, it is, um, what, November 2nd as we record this, uh, 2009, and there are a lot of leaves out there. There certainly are in Western PA. I, I came home a little early from work today, and I was out there uh, I have a, um, well, as you know, you've used it, a, a billy goat, which is a leaf vacuum. That thing sucks. Go ahead. <laughs> <And> it's uh, very... <laughs> I borrowed it the other day. Dave was nice, nice enough to let me borrow it. Uh, I couldn't see the grass. I didn't know that I had grass. It was just covered in leaves. But it's it's cool. I, I absolutely that love it. That thing is very effective at sucking up the leaves. It does, uh, you know, unlike a lawnmower, it doesn't cut them. 
but it has a much larger bag. What, what would you? I don't even know how big that bag is, but like many times the size of a mower bag. All I know is when I emptied it the first time, my dog and son were both in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I've been out uh, cleaning leaves tonight, and it's very satisfying when you look out there. Now it's dark, of course, but all the grass, it looks so good. Uh, and you know what? We, we actually, last night, sorry, back up two nights ago, Halloween night, we were partying at your old house. Now, oh, that I heard that you were at my old house on Woodbine Lane. We have partied there, obviously, many times together over the 15 years that we both lived in the same neighborhood. And, uh, you know, there's new owners there now. And they invited there were some us ghosts over. flying around on there, Halloween there, yep, of the it, old... There were <laughs> ghosts of the old the family. <laughs> uh, it was a bit weird, though. Uh, I mean, we had a great time, mind you. The house pretty much looks like it did. They haven't made any massive changes. No, you left it in very nice pretty, condition. Beautiful go, granite yeah. countertops and so on. And, you know, true to the other guy tradition, we never left the kitchen slash kitchen. We all just hung right there in the island that sort of goes towards the what you might call the dining room or the extended kitchen. So yeah, you know, the house is still good for partying, even though you've moved on. It's a great partying house. Well, hey, anyone who wants to contact us, uh, first of all, we try to do this show. Right now we're doing about every four weeks, Monday nights, uh, 9 o'clock-ish. Now we start at 9.15. You're just back from tennis I tonight. I flew in from tennis. That's right. So I'm a little stinky. It's not the... <laughs> Well, that's it's why not the cheese and it's not the wine. That's why you're me. on the far side of the table. <laughs> Here, I'm gonna, speaking of wine, uh, we are having the 07 Syrah tonight. And, ah, and I've got to relate a story about this. Really? Yes. Well, relate away. Well, I came from tennis, but we have um, the, every Monday night. But as you know, I'm, I'm traveling back and forth from Phoenix right now for about another eight, nine months. So I'm there every oh, other you have, Wait now, do you have an end on your time frame for traveling? You're going to do it for nine uh, months and then it's over? Not a real distinctive time frame. It's a, just a verbal agreement, but I'm, I'm going to go through next summer. So about um, August or September of, of, of next year, I'll, I sh- I'll be back full time here. But uh, for tennis, we usually, you know, it's just a great hour and a half of uh, good exercise. And we usually all bring... Oh, a few beers or six-pack of beers. There's just four or eight of us, depending on how many courts we get. Tonight we had eight of us, so I took a magnum of Ooh, the 07 Syrah. Syrah. But another friend of mine, mm-hmm. Danny Pascalucci, who lives mm-hmm. in the North Hills, also makes homemade wine. Okay. And he brought a bottle of 08 Nebbiolo. Okay. Did I say that right? Nebbiolo? Nebbiolo. Yeah, so that's the yeah. uh, the black Italian grape, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, well, it's from, interesting. From Barolo, wasn't that Nebbiolo? I hope someone's smarter than us and will let yeah. us know tonight. Nebbiolo, yeah. But um, it was um, it was interesting because it was a real light brickish, tannish, brownish color. And so I was asking what the grape looked like to, to try to get a better understanding of how he ended up with that end product. But he, he crushes, ferments, throws it right in the barrel, I think even before fermentation is finished, and he lets his barrel, he'll, he takes some of the wine out, like a good old Italian will. And so a lot of oxi- oxygenation Oxygen, right, exactly. yeah, gets into the barrel. And we've talked about this at length in previous shows. I think this is the number one most important I, tip. I, I think after all the years makers. of our home winemaking, I think 
if there's two things to control, it's cleanliness to keep the stray yeast out and then oxygen, oxygen out of that thing. Oxygen is not your friend when you're a winemaker. Absolutely. And so it's not surprising to me at all that he'd have sort of a brickish red color if he's not doing a good job controlling oxygen exposure. And, and we've talked about it, and, but, you know, this is the beauty of home winemaking. He loves it. His family loves it. His parents love it. And that's the style of wine they want to have and make. And he, he gets his uh, grapes. He, he did get grapes because I asked him if he got the juice or grapes uh, for this particular wine from last year. And he did get grapes through the strip district. So they were probably okay grapes. But um, it's not the difference. Yes, when, when, we poured, when I poured our 07 Syrah, I mean, it was like David Jeter going to bat at a. Little League game. Right. <laughs> right. But, the, but you know what? That's exactly why the most frequent comment I get when we share our wine with people is, wow, this doesn't taste like homemade wine. Because exactly. Probably all or almost all your home winemakers make this mistake of too much oxygen. They're not managing that uh, carefully. But well, the beauty was, what a wonderful thing to share with. They were just a couple of old tennis buddies sharing homemade wine and just Totally enjoying Wait, it. So a couple uh, plus you, that's three. And you had a Magnum plus the other bottle? No, we had eight. <laughs> eight. Oh, okay, just checking the math there. Since yeah. we're just getting started here on the 07, which, by the way, let the record show, it is almost as black as night. Uh, I mean, it, it is, is a deep, like, deep purple. There is... Uh, and this is unblended. This is straight this 07 just Syrah. straight Syrah, which I think is one of the, the best straight wines that we've made. Just a gorgeous color. I mean, really a dark purple, no sediment, very clear, although even held up to the light. It's such a dark ruby, you can barely see through it. And this is from our uh, our gal uh, farmer. This grower. is um, the, uh, the, the, the grape oh. grower with Susan Lentz. And in Lentz. fact, we got more, only 150 pounds this year, mind you, but we do have some more of the Susan Lentz. And was that because Syrah. of the growing season this year uh, that there wasn't that much available? No, there was. Uh, I went over there and I could only... Um, uh, you know, we made two trips, and we'll get into this in more detail, but I could only bring about 1,000, 1,100 pounds, and I'd already loaded up with 800 pounds a cab, and so I was looking for, you know, getting a few other things in just smaller volume, uh, limited by weight. Didn't want to kill the car. Oh, okay. Anyway, you can contact us. We do the show on Monday nights every fourth uh, Monday, usually around 9 o'clock. You can contact us at cellardwellers at talkshoe.com. Or you can uh, tune in here on TalkShoe. We're call ID 18, and of course you can call us. And uh, oh, we are still 18. We're still 18. We still because got two people girl. asked me about it, and I thought we were we were bumped no, no, way no. to the back of the line, no, and I didn't still, know them 18. We got ah. the prestigious two-digit call ID okay. on TalkShoe from the early early days. I'm sorry we lost we Jack. Probably. He called in early, and uh, I guess he's only on the phone. We should have jumped down on that call a little bit earlier. But you can call in at 724-444-7444, and then you'll be prompted for your call ID 18. And then, uh, you know, if you've got a pin, great. Otherwise, press 1 to join as a guest. And we'd love to have you call in and join us. So uh, i got to just put in a, a little bit of a plug or some positive word of mouth uh, Catherine and I went to see the new Michael Jackson movie. You know, Catherine, your lovely bride. My Catherine. lovely bride. Uh, we went to see the new Michael Jackson concert movie, uh, rehearsal movie, documentary. documentary whatever, yeah. Um, I, I, I have to say, passionate one. 
as one who is passionate, you would just... Well, I found the movie mesmerizing. Really? Just mesmerizing. And i got to say, part of it is a little bit of the morbid curiosity. You know, okay, here's the guy you know is going to be dead in a... You know, they, they filmed it while, he's, while he's working on it. Yeah, exactly. I think they filmed it March to July, and so some of that film was probably shot or June, uh, you know, literally right before he died. Um, some of it was um, intriguing because you're getting the behind-the-scenes view. Uh, this was not shot to be anything but, you know, library footage for the Jackson. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was there an intention of this no. back and that, long before his death, obviously, to make a documentary of this? I mean, maybe they were thinking, oh, someday, way down the road, they'd use the film. Yeah, but they, they, they did not, about Michael Jackson. At the time they were shooting it, they did not have a specific plan to make a movie. And this ah. is part of what makes it cool. It would make it better to me, well, exactly. knowing that there wasn't this... You, you taking the edge off. I mean, it would knowing that it wasn't so produced. It, it was like right. more it raw. Wasn't produced, happening, it was huh? very raw, and there were generally only one or two cameras, and so they couldn't cut away from the dance moves. You know, like you watch a a music video, and in sixty seconds, there's one hundred and twenty camera right, shots. Right, right. And you know, you suspect that the dancers, you know, they're they're doing each bit for two seconds or something, and then splicing them all together. Whereas here. You know, there weren't very many cuts. And so part of it was that sort of behind the scenes. And then part of it was, I got to say, more than I've ever really appreciated before, Michael Jackson truly was an unbelievable showman. Now, some of my favorite songs ever, um, Billie Jean, what a great song, Man in the Mirror, Beat It. You know, there are some really, really great songs. But by watching this movie, you could tell how deeply he cared about trying to set a di- you know yet a different standard to deliver on that you know king of pop reputation and um, you know the movie like I said it was it was mesmerizing wow. five minutes into it it was like I'm going to come back and see this again <laughs> wow that's a so good endorsement there. I, I I don't think it's going to be um, out like in permanent release so they talked about sort of a limited release so go out and. It. it was uh, that was a long out. time to spend on Michael Jackson in a wine show, but I, I have not seen uh, too many things ever that I enjoyed as much as that movie. Well, that's a good recommendation. So let's so fall season. season. Winemaking. We are. We are right what have we been up to? In the middle of it. Oh, it's so much fun. So um, let's see. We got uh, 800 pounds of cab, 150 pounds of syrah. 150 pounds of Zinfandel going back about three weeks ago. All from? All from Carl the Great Man, and all of it was uh, super premium uh, from Sonoma. And so we were paying, you know, counting the shipping and sort of all in uh, to get it across to Cleveland where we picked it up, we being based in Pittsburgh a couple hours from there. about a dollar forty to a dollar fifty-five. So that's what your super premium grapes are going for this year, at least from uh, Carl the Great Man. And hey, if you ask me, that's a fine price to pay. Uh, you know what you get out of it. It's it's the the price of the grapes, boy. I, I hope there aren't too many people out there that are uh, you know chintzing on the on the grapes. Go for well, the best we've you can. About that if, a lot too. Gotta pay another ten cents or a quarter a pound. I mean, go for it. Well worth it. But this was an interesting, sort of difficult... Uh, it was one of the more challenging. Challenging years. It was looking really great up to the wire there, and then 
Boom. Well, I think it was Al Gore's heat wave very kicked warm. on. They put the sun lamps on. Exactly. It was very warm in California towards the end when this stuff was picked. In, I mean, like 100 degrees. It was, yeah, very warm, which then you have to leave the grapes a certain amount of time until the acid gets right. By then, the sugar's too high. And so this stuff came in between 25 and 28% sugar, or bricks, as they call it. That's cooking. That is hot. And so what we did, we have never done before. And so it will be really interesting to see how this works out. No, we've done this before. I don't think we've ever done any significant um, amelioration where you add a large volume of water. And so with one of our batches, with 40 gallons of juice, we added four and a half gallons of water, about a 10% dilution to knock the sugar percentage from 27.5, 28 down to 25-ish. So to back up, the bricks, the, I'm sorry, the, the grapes came in, what, the highest was what, the Zin, right? I think, yes, I think we had Zin at 28%. 20, and that's the highest we've well, ever had, that's 28%. We never had it that high. And, they, and ideal is more what? Well, they say 22.5 to 24.5. That's and, more ideal. Yeah, and we can, we've often done it maybe at the 25, 25 we've and a half range. We've mostly been around 25. don't mind 14% alcohol, frankly. Just <laughs> <laughs> fine by me. So, uh, yeah, 28 is a little hot. But what we decided to do was interesting. So with the Zin, we only had 150 pounds of it, so this was sort of a small risk. We decided not to reduce the sugar level. So we just, we're going for it. We're going, we're going, so, we're going to be get up, go, getting up to the uh, port range yeah, of alcohol. Yeah, so it was probably 16 17%. Uh, i got to go do the math on this. So we had a 27.5 to 28 uh, bricks or percent sugar in the Zin, and we divided that in half in two batches and put your standard RC212 yeast in one batch, and that's going to be good until 14% sugar and or 14% alcohol. So you're going to have very significant amounts of residual sugar when RC212 burns out. At the same time, we used a different yeast, EC1118, and that 18 at the end is significant because it can go to 18% alcohol. Now, it's maybe not ideal for red wine, and so it'll be interesting to see how this works out for us, but we're blending. So we've got some of the flavor characteristics of RC212, some of the EC1118. We let them both go until they were done, and we still were a bit high on the sugar on the one batch. And so we pressed it and put it all into the barrel. And you know what? That barrel now, the, the yeast has sort of died down. The EC1118 now has found some new sugar to start eating, and so it's thrown off a bunch of bubbles. We're seeing about one bubble a second coming out through our airlock from you know. So the we've barrel. still got fermentation going on and, in and the barrel. Pretty the point, vigorous because there right. was residual sugar. Right. So the the it's interesting because EC1118 is often used for stuck fermentations, and so it is not unusual for it to uh, uh, be coming into contact with wine that still has a lot of alcohol but some residual sugar. So what, in your opinion, is the downside of using a sugar, I mean, I'm sorry, a yeast that can handle, let's say you have um, a, 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 a normal range bricks where you could use um, one of the other yeast, but you go with the 1.8, 
Well, I think the, what do what do you lose in doing that? Do you think I, I that think it goes that, too fast? No, I, that's not um, at least what my worry was. I, I think that it just does not. It it's bred to be able to be super alcohol tolerant. It's not optimized around some of the things the other yeasts are optimized around certain flavor or aroma characteristics or certain kind of mouth feel or whatever. So I think it's so you your belief then is my theory that. Is, that that you're getting a substantial amount of the characteristics we like in a in a wine from the yeast. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay, let's see if any of our listeners <laughs> can um, dispute that. Way. Can dispute that. <laughs> it's an interesting thought because we visited a winery in California in Sonoma. Uh, was that four years ago we were on our bikes? Oh, I think it might even be. No, we were in Italy two years ago. So I think it was five years ouch, ago now. Ouch, and, ouch, yeah, oh five years gosh, since we've been riding through Sonoma. And the uh, Belle, what was the. Um, yeah, be- Bella. 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 Really nice winery. And they had the caves, right, back in the, uh, yep. in the hillside. But we tasted some of their week, 10 day old Cabernet. Um, Out of must- a, like a. 15,000 gallon, probably 1,500 gallon, but it's one of those giant, giant stainless, stainless steel. steel fermentation vats. Of course, it had just a regular tap. Oh, <laughs> which was great. And, I and, love the, that. and the winemaker was just nice enough to, uh, you know, engage us in conversation and let us taste that. That's pretty, that's pr- that was pretty special. I think moment. he appreciated that we were interested in, uh, you know, not just in the winemaking process. Right? We were right. there, yeah. really interested in the process. But interestingly, and maybe in California they can do this because yeast have sort of, I mean, how many species of yeast are there? I mean, there's thousands. Oh, I'm sure there's tens, tens of, of thousands, although, you know, maybe a few hundred that have been commercialized for wine production. But probably in that area there might be a more predominant one in the vineyards because they, this seems so risky to me, they let, they just crush the grapes and let the natural yeast that was on the skins and would be in the environment ferment their wines in a commercial winery. That just seemed unprecedented to me. Maybe I'm not. a little surprised myself because, you know, if you can, you think about the investment they've got in that. If, if they have a bad year because they get a bad yeast, they're dead. So uh, I was, I, I wouldn't uh, be doing it that way myself, frankly. I like the idea. In fact, all the years we've made wine, only one time did we ever make any wine, only five gallons, where we just said, okay, let's let nature take its course. That was one of the Brem uh, vineyards, if you remember, and it came in and it was sort of once it, it thought it was like ready to go and we just let it go. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that was the Zin, and part of the reason we decided to go for the really hot Zin, um, you know, probably 16, 17% alcohol, is Zin is a nice spicy wine where, uh, you know, sometimes you get... I call it ballsy. <laughs> All right, let the record show that was the passion one over there. <laughs> uh, but it is. But I mean, most are a little higher. And yeah, can can handle the extra alcohol. Whereas if you get a um, you know a nice Syrah or a, a Cab that goes that high in alcohol, I think it can ruin it. We had some spectacular hop kiln Zinfandel. As oh, we in Sonoma biking, at the biking hop kiln, right? Yeah, hop kiln, kiln vineyard, and that was like. Almost 16, 15.8 or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was really high, and that convinced me that, you know, for a Zin, let's go for it. But on our 800 pounds of cab and our 150 pounds of Syrah, 
we took it down to 25 bricks. So it's still going to come in at 14% alcohol when all is said and done, but we didn't have to use the EC1118. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we... And it fermented to... To perfection to and was complete fun. dryness exactly. Yeah. So that was Friday, and uh, this time we decided uh, we'd let it run a little longer. That's the uh, the heating system. It's cold oh. out there. Although yeah. this was a spectacular afternoon. Beautiful fall day. Beautiful fall day. 58 degrees, sunny sky, a little cloudiness, or a little a few white clouds up there. What a wonderful day. Uh, so. Um, our, our cab and our, our Syrah should come in, you know, nice at uh, 14. We used the right uh, yeast, our ideal yeast, and uh, that was really exciting. We knew ahead of time that it was going to be uh, coming, be ready on Friday, and so we invited all sorts of folks to uh, show oh, up. Oh, we had, we had friends and food. Ah, uh, the food. But and, uh, you know what? Pressing wine pressing was party. just a great, that's a great thing to do. A pressing party is a great thing to do. Yeah, we had some uh, spectacular crab cakes. I got to say, those crab cakes were amazing. From one of our listeners, one of Ziggy. Our, exactly. Ziggy Thank you, Ziggy. A, a great now, job. Let me ask you this. Here's a thought. We're over here in western Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh. Beautiful. Beautiful in the fall. But... We get our grapes from California. We have never had grapes arrive under 25 bricks, to my recollection. 24.8, but maybe. But we were right around 25 bricks, I think, virtually every year that we've been doing this. And this is our, what, uh, sixth year? Seventh, seventh year. year. Seventh yeah. year. Now, I wonder what they leave California at what bricks they leave California. And do we have any sort of, um, you know, even though it's a refrigerated truck and they're doing the best they can and they get here in just a matter of a few days, but we've never had that 22 and a half, 23, 24 bricks grapes to start with. Any thoughts there, well, numbers guy? I don't think they change a lot coming from California because they're very cold. They're so cold. There's and so not, not much is happening. Is your, is your there, theory. Right? That, that could be. Uh, I have noticed that often after we uh, do a, um, a crushing, that a day later we may get an extra half percent sugar. In other words, the bricks might step from, say, 25 up to 25.5. I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, my theory is maybe there's some sweeter grapes in there someplace. You see some of those raisiny grapes every once in a while that make it through. So I'm guessing that's just sort of the sugar averaging out. We sample a small amount and, you know, by the time all is said and done, there's some sweeter stuff in there. Or or the the grapes that we're buying, the last of the harvesting, and there's been that, like in this year, where the temperature was so high, by the time, I mean, let's think about it. I mean, there's a time differential and starting at this end of the vineyard, ending at that end, by the time you get there, well, that no, certainly could have come up exactly. two or three bricks, and that's what, we, that's what they sell to, to us. Absolutely right. In even other words, in the premium stuff. Right, it's premium, stuff, but you but, know what? The, the, the vineyards, the winemakers are out there saying, pick now, right? And right. then they go through, and we're buying, or Carl was buying on the spot market after the fact, the excess that's left right. over. And, so and I mean, think we're, sort, exactly of, we're right. sort of thinking out loud here, but I think that's why that's we, we tend theory. to come in a couple of bricks higher than perfectly ideal. So, you know, if you don't live in, in California, a wine growing area, 
uh, we're, we're doing the best we can. Yeah, so don't just, get us wrong, our stuff's delicious, but we tend to be a little more alcohol, high in alcohol, well, which ain't a problem. It's not, not a problem <laughs> at all. <laughs> Although, this will be a, an interesting year because we did do more, more, challenges. more water dilution, more amelioration than we've ever done. Although, I can't imagine with as intense as this is, that 10% extra water added right up front is even going to be the slightest bit noticeable, but we'll see. Hey, we still have more to talk about on this year's uh, wine, but I wanted to go to um, email real quick because we got a couple interesting emails that are on exactly this we topic. We got some emails? Wait, wait, believe it or not. Someone listened to us? And <laughs> we got some email. email. And gentlemen, introducing my original Invention. Seller dwellers, dwellers, listener, email. So we got to thank David there for David all these from themes. California. Thank you, David. He's, he's great. So uh, this message comes in from Tim, who says, uh, Dave and Tog, I was wondering if you could either forward this on to Carl or ask him when you pick up the grapes, which, by the way, I did. So, But let me read the letter. Living in the Kansas City area, I do not have many options mm. for fresh grapes. Oh, I bet. Tough My area. local beer winemaking stop does get in California grapes uh, from the fall from Lodi, which is, we've gotten some good... Uh, Zinfandel grapes from Lodi, although it's not probably as uh, at the same quality level as, say, Sonoma. It's not called Lodi for nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be getting more email for that comment. Um, anyway, Carl, or sorry, Tim goes on to say, I've been getting grapes from them for about four years now, and every year I find that I'm not very happy with the quality of the grapes. Mm, 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 this mm. year I ordered Grenache Sangiovese. Zinfandel and Syrah, and out of these varieties, the highest bricks was 21, Whoa. and the lowest was 15. Oh my goodness! Exactly opposite of what we've just spent All 10 minutes talking about. All were very underripe, which has been wow. my experience for the past few years. So and he's this is getting Kansas. It, yeah, Kansas he's getting it on the other end. But boy, um, th- I That's think it's tough irresponsible to, to be selling uh, or even picking grapes that are that far from. Did he mention like, when he's uh, is he getting these uh, like outrageously early like well third week said, of September or something I mean that just seems this com- was counterintuitive that you'd get too low a brick right so this is dated October sixth so he got this well before we got our oh, bricks this year so boy, maybe that's okay. what it is uh, that well, could have been that's a tough situation. Peter Brim. Um, well, okay. <laughs> so he says, um, I can end up making okay wine, but not what I really want to make. Mm. I do get grapes from Brim, which are always very, very good. Oh, so, you, you know, go. you can't go wrong with Peter Brim. You're going to pay a little bit more, but yeah. on the other hand, they're already, you know, crushed and destemmed. And actually, to me, the biggest advantage of Brim is you can buy them any time of the year. That's, so, yeah. uh, in warmer climates, like when I'm down in Phoenix, that's, that's, that's a must. There's no way to do it. There's no way you lost. Is that? It, it, yeah. Kind of, yeah. You okay. know when you're when you're in the industry long enough, it comes out there. It's just, it's, you know. Right. Of course. <laughs> it is. You're right. You can barely avoid talking wine talk. It's just natural. I can't stop. I it can't sometimes. stop. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, anyway, to wrap up there. I was wondering if Carl knows anyone in the Kansas City area or anywhere nearby that ships high-quality grapes. Any help would be appreciated. I called Carl, and he said, hey, Tim, 
Get together with some friends. See if you can... Drive you know. to Cleveland? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> a little far Kansas City last time I checked my geography. Yeah. Carl said if Tim could get a few other uh, winemakers there in Kansas City, he would route a truck ah, through there on the way to Cleveland and drop idea. some stuff. So there you go. We're going to hook up the Kansas City. So uh, they probably need to get a, maybe a few tons, but if they got yeah. if they got a reasonable amount of people together. I bet if they could get together, together five tons. That's and a we, brilliant idea. We make a ton ourselves yes. each oh, year. Yeah, yeah. At least a ton. outrageous. So no. you get five guys who each want to sign up for a ton or ten folks who wants to, you know, do half of that. And Find uh, ten alcoholics in your but no, that's a that you know that that's a this is a really good email to address because if you've thought about making wine make uh, making homemade wine but you're in a you know, a, a more difficult area that's not going to be as um, accessible to the California the, the quality grapes that's a good point and and if Carl would be willing to uh, work out some arrangements to he get some good grapes so folks, Tim stop getting with your friends plan for excellent. next year Tim. We, oh, stay in touch, Tim, because yeah, we want to get you, get you hooked up next year. I still owe Tim some bottles of wine, so it's on my list. I have not forgotten. I'm going to mail him um, olive oil, I should say. Okay, so the other thing we're doing, the day that was Friday. Then Saturday, you did the yeoman duty and drove over to Cleveland I did again. my duty because you've done it for the past few number of times. And uh, what we got, 550 pounds of Chalk Hill Zinfandel. This is the, one of the best Zin vineyards in Sonoma. Chalk Hills, excellent. Oh. And also well, very well known for outrageously good Chardonnay. Chalk Hills Chardonnay oh, you're right. is, like, now that you is that. just, I bought a little bit on the higher end cost-wise, but my gosh, is it good. Now that was, um, was that, uh, that came in on Halloween, is that right? It, well, I picked it up on Halloween Day on Saturday, right. yes. Yeah. So, that, but it came really in. Like, well, uh, oh, that's right. It, it, we, it was sitting yeah. in Carl's refrigerator for a little while. Right. But still, that's the end of October. That's pretty late. Pretty late, given the the hot year there. But the numbers came in. Why don't you uh, lay them on us, numbers guy? Down. They oh, are man. as good as they can get for them. Right. So we talked about the ideal range being twenty-two and a half to twenty-four and a half. Now we've always been dealing with something higher than that, and sometimes we just run with it. This was twenty-four point eight ah. on the bricks. For Zin, which is probably right. And the acid, only one other time have we had perfect TA, titratable acidity, and not Wait, had let's to keep add this clean. This is a family <laughs> show. <Charteric. So>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't had perfect TA yeah, since college. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've totally lost my train of thought here. Uh, the TA was, <laughs> stop it, uh, 0.675. And you want to be just right there between 0.60 and 0.75. Oh, my gosh. Then That's just... Could not have been better. If we mess this one up, we're idiots. <laughs> well, but, we're idiots regardless. <laughs> hopefully we won't mess it up. But what, a, what an interesting year. This is the first time I have to tell our listeners that... We're going to be making wine from the same varietal, but from two totally two. different locations, two totally different growers. First time we've That's done that, true. which is really, right. so we've got two really different going here. Really, a little Zin off. 
Uh, while we're <laughs> while we're on email, let me just touch one other one. Jerry, actually, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I think Jerry's on the phone with us. Um, hey, if Alpha King is out there, I'd like to talk with you about making wine from South Carolina grapes. Oh, Alpha uh, King, we need Jerry. to hear from you. Hey, uh, let's see if Jerry's audio connection is working. Jerry, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're a little choppy, but we're gonna we're gonna go with it. So um, I noticed the the email that you sent us after last show. Let me I'm include in Tog on this one, but he says, uh, Jerry says, uh, just missed last night's show. Didn't check my email in time. Let Tog know that he gave up both his first and last name separately uh, from the Tom, Dick, and Harry reference. And later he talked about his brother being the first not uh, go to college, and then even later. He talked about when he was making wine at your house, and he said, as if you talking to him, and then used his own name. Of course, you're going to pin that back on me, right? Because you were talking about me talking about you. Anyway, Jerry, very observant. <laughs> People want to go back to listen to episode 67. Heck, by, by the time this comes out, we'll have bleeped it all out of there. So. Can, we, can we mute Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jerry, are you making wine this year? Yes, I am. I've got uh, 12 gallons of Zinfandel and 11 of Cabernet Sauvignon. Wow. And where did you get the um, – did you buy um, uh, juice or grapes? Were they on the stems or already uh, crushed? What, what, where did you get your uh, input? Well, there's a place in Detroit called uh, California Wine Grape Company. Uh, oh. So they sell it in the 36-pound uh, lug. Uh, they have a crusher destemmer there. It costs you $2 a lug to have them do it for you, so – that's I a pretty good deal. Pay them and let them do it, and that's how I bring it home, crushed and destemmed, and ferment it. So I did it in uh, two different two different uh, times. I went one time and got the Zinfandel, went back uh, two weeks later and got the Cabernet. So what what does a uh, a lug does that equate out to? What like a five gallon pail? I mean, they crushed and destemmed it. Uh, how well, did you bring it home? Those are the same things we have. No, I know. But if you're, no, I'm asking if you crush and destem that. Oh, I what see. What does that yeah. translate That's to? About a five gallon pail, six gallon pail. Uh, well, I got four lugs of each grape and a uh, almost filled uh, three of the six gallon fermentation uh, you get for beer making the fermentation pails. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got it home. They actually put in a little plastic bag inside the pail. Oh, okay. okay. That's good. Good deal. And then uh, what did you do after you got it home? Did you run some numbers on it and uh, plan out some yeast? And how did you go from there? Well, I ended up uh, using the yeast that they sold, so I didn't have really much choice on the yeast. But the uh, in the specific, uh, the bricks, uh, I couldn't really didn't have, I don't have a refractometer or something with specific gravity. So the Zinfandel was 1.09 specific gravity. Uh, that's and that's not bad. That might be a, a hair low. I have to go look up the actual conversion. But do you remember what um, bricks that converted to? No, I, I didn't figure that out yet. Okay. Well, it definitely wouldn't be too high. Um, that's good. So you're not going to 1.09 would not be too high. That wouldn't be too high. We've been in the 1.10 or maybe even 1.11. And again... We do uh, the specific gravity, but the refractometer reads the bricks directly, and so I, I don't sort of keep in my head the conversion numbers on specific gravity. I always have to look them up. Well, I don't have a refractometer, so. But the, uh, my titration kit for the acidity, I can really only tell it by going maybe at best uh, uh, 
I figured it out. And then the uh, Cabernet at 0.65, I can really only tell it by, you know, 0.05% increments of 0 0.6, 0 0.6, 0.7. Okay. Okay. Those are good numbers. Yeah, those are good numbers. Those are good stuff. Uh, just out of curiosity, what did you, uh, what was the price per pound on those grapes? Uh, it was about a dollar a pound, so the, the Zinfandel was uh, $35 a lug. Okay. Oh. 36 pound lug. And the uh, Cabernet was was somewhere right in there too. Oh, that's a good that's a good price. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you heard us talking earlier, uh, but um, how are you doing in terms of managing oxygen exposure, sort of after, um, you know, after the fermentation? Are you pretty careful now that it's um, um, done fermenting? I don't, I don't use any of the tip and fourth through funnel method. I do uh, siphon it. That's your one of your three favorite uh, items, the uh, auto siphon. The auto siphon, exactly. That thing is just phenomenal. But one thing I will uh, recommend to people that are kind of making uh, amounts of wine a little lower than you guys is that I discovered the demijohns rather than just the five-gallon carboys. They make them in a variety of sizes. So if you get a couple of them, you can kind of adjust your sizing. Uh, yeah, so that's a. That's a really good point to fine tune it to whatever you ended up with that year. That's a really good point. We actually I have. have it. Um, go ahead. I have about two five gallon carboys, five gallon carboys, a six gallon carboy, and a seven point four gallon demijohn, which is you know some kind of liter exact. Size. Right, we're in a similar boat. We have a couple of. Um, then on the smaller side, we've got a couple of three-gallon carboys and even a few, um, you know, old Gallo bottles or one-gallon cider bottles or what have you. And the the whole trick is um, just to be really careful about not too much uh, uh, oxygen. You want to keep the airlocks in. Uh, if the fermentation is done, you want to keep some kind of, you know, cork or bung or plug in it. Uh, again, I think this is where people get themselves in trouble. And frankly, um, uh, you know, maybe you get used to the flavor of wine that's been exposed to oxygen, but um, boy, I can pick up that taste just immediately. Yeah, and and what? Um, I, just a, I just leave an airlock in it the whole time. I just rather than using a solid cork, I just yes, yeah, that's that's a good way to go. What what um, did you have much in the way of specifics of the of the grapes that you got through this? Um, <clears throat> Was it a broker or of some sort in Detroit, did you say? Like, do you know where they came from, the vineyards or anything uh, like that? I just know they came from the Palma region. Okay. So. So is your fermentation completed? Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it, in about the 10 days, it, it was completely done in, in the garbage can, the new garbage can that I was fermenting in. Yeah, in 10 days is... Um, probably about the quickest. I mean, you, we've we've seen it in seven, eight days, but uh, ten days we'd like to let it go to that. And we did an interesting thing, out of kind of a, a courtesy to me with my travel from back uh, back and forth from Phoenix. Uh, Dave and I waited until I got back to press uh, the cab. Actually. Yeah, just the cab. The cab, right? right. We had cab. two batches of it, but yes, it was all cab. And that was a good, solid two weeks, wasn't it? From I think from even slightly more than two slightly weeks. Slightly more than, than that. that. I normally would have pressed it earlier. Earlier, if you were coming back, but instead, I, what I did was I 
sealed it up a little better than normal for fermentation so that it was uh, starting to reduce the amount of oxygen. That yeah, it was just some, with to. some uh, sort of saran wrap uh, yeah, just over the fermentation. Yeah, the tops of the uh, fermentation vats. But having said that, at the time of pressing, we did let it go a little bit longer. But as long as you're controlling oxygenation and oxygen exposure, um, it, it you know it's going to be doing what it's going to be doing in a barrel, uh, uh, even though it's still on the uh, on the skins. At the time of pressing, it was probably the best tasting wine because we had let it go a little longer out of anything we've ever pressed. Uh, so as long as you control that, you're not going to go wrong. And it was actually a lot of a lot of fun pressing because it was delicious it was to a drink lot of at fun. the time. Very very delicious. In fact, I think we probably drank more of that wine uh, straight away. Um, what are you doing, uh, Jerry? For um, is it Jerry? Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, Jerry, what are, what are you doing for oak? Um, any kind of oaking of your red wine? Uh, I'm going to. I haven't started it yet. I made a Merlot last year, and I just used the uh, oak chips. I actually think that's a great way to go. Uh, can't go wrong with the oak uh, You know, <coughs> other than the uh, debate over micro-oxygenation of a, of a barrel, I'm, I'm totally convinced that um, a some sort of we're in fact we're at a, we're at a point in our home winemaking that we're sort of um, at the tail end of our first barrel. It's an O3, um, and this is a seventh year of using it. So we're probably going to retire it next year and go to, uh, and we'll talk about this in another show, but a collapsible or variable volume, variable volume, uh, yeah. a, a container, stainless steel, or and and the beauty of that is you can you can add whatever type of oak and type of toast of oak that you want depending on what you're what you're making that year and um well I mean, the other beauty is some, it's about a tenth the cost to use the oak chips versus the barrels and it's a lot less work it's a lot less Those work barrels are i mean since we in all accolades today because he he's taken care of the barrels over the years and so it is a lot of work uh, not only do you have to keep them uh full of burned sulfur if you're storing them dry but then before you um, fill them up, you have to rinse them with a um, soda um, ash and then with a citric acid. So basic acid. and then yeah, acid. Right, exactly. And, so it's, and swell them and seal right, them. It's, it's a bit of work. So I think you're on exactly the right track, Jerry, using uh, you know, oak chips. I don't think there's any difference um, that you're going to detect in the end flavor of that product. Unless... The argument out there for the micro-oxygenation of a barrel has some play in the year or so that it's going to be in a barrel. That's the only little light I'll give on using a barrel. There might be something to that, but... It might or might not. Might or not. I mean, but you're as gonna far as oak flavoring and convenience, my gosh, you can't go wrong with Yeah, and as Jerry's keeping his with an airlock in it, so air pressure changes are going to move a little bit of air in and out, and... You know, temperature changes move a little bit. And frankly, after you bottle, if you use corks, you're going to get some, you know, breathability and there, that, too. And that so. might be the other part of the argument, so. I don't know. It's, Basically, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? But no, 46 minutes into episode 68, and the truth has finally come out. But well, you hey, know what? We're, six, but we're only scratching the surface of... <laughs> Of uh, wine making processes. Uh, we are only scratching. Oh, is that an idiom? <laughs> the numbers guy shall now consult thine holy book of idioms. 
right. You know what really pisses me off? <laughs> it's the numbers guys always consulting this. And meanwhile, like, we bought you the damn book for videos for Christmas. All right, Jerry, I'm going to mute you for a second now. Did, would you like to consult the Holy Book of Idioms? Go ahead, numbers guys. I would happily. I am not worthy. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Okay. <laughs> All right, so... Um, Probably everybody, the surf. at least in the U.S., everybody would uh, be familiar with this, to you know, just begin to deal with a problem, to be dealing with only a very small part of the subject. Uh, but according to Marvin Terban, in the Scholastic Dictionary Book of Idioms, more than 600 phrases, sayings, and expression... What, he is says, he, what, are you, what are you on his payroll? Yes, Holy I God. am. I get right. uh, some affiliate revenue every time I mention this. Beautiful. 1800s. So going back to the 1800s, right. there are actually two different uses. You probably guessed the first one, right? Where, where, where do you think this comes from? The, the first scratch one? the surface. Um, a dead guy trying to get out of a coffin nice who wasn't dead. Fry. No? No, but in farming. Okay, you prepare the soil. If you only scratch the surface, you know, you're not planting deeply enough to succeed. So ah, that one sort word. of makes sense. But apparently, it also relates to archaeology. Ooh. You can't, you know, find the ancient treasures if you only by only the scratching the surface. So if in any area you scratch the surface, you've done the job superficially. By the 1900s, the saying, which was either farming or archaeology, had transferred to all areas of life. Let me ask you this. Which came first, farming or archaeology? Well, farming came first. Ah, hence my belief that that's the way to go, yeah. with scratching the surface. All right. Yeah, humans have been farming for about 10,000 years. I think we've only really been serious about archaeology for, I'm going to say, a couple of hundred. No, I... My great 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 grandfather he totally gave up planting corn to look for bones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, point. Point. Made. Yeah, that's why that part of the family's been long gone. <laughs> okay, now I do want to. Uh, I, I know we have a um, a guest seven in the chat room who does make a really interesting point. Uh, oh, I can. No, I can't see that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you can't. But I'm I'll, on the other side of the, the screen. I'll. I'll um, mention this, uh, barrels allow the wine to get concentrated. Think of a reduction sauce. Oak chips are not the same. So this is a very good point. We have to add um, probably, I'm going to say somewhere between two and three gallons over the course of a year of, of wine to a barrel. So we literally get, I'm going to estimate five to 10% evaporation over the course of a year. So that after final, after final, um, this doesn't count what's lost in racking. In, after final so, racking, yeah, right. So you're we, still going another five to ten yeah, percent. Rack and top it up, and don't count that. The the volume drops, and I know you have your suspicions as to why, but I'm I'm here to tell you it is legitimately evaporation. Seriously, and so I I will generally grab one to two magnums. Probably every four or five months. But where, 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 okay, but where's the evaporation occurring? I think uh, it's going right, literally right through the wood. Through the through wood. the wood. Now, if that's possible, if that's possible, <clears throat> then I have to believe that there's a hell of a lot of oxygenation going on. Oh, actually, Tim chimes in at this point with a very disappointing thought that I think has just dissuaded <clears throat> me 
from using the oak barrels at all. He says, alcohol evaporates quicker than water, so that's what you're losing. So, um, Tim, <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, no more barrels for me. He's probably right. Alcohol will evaporate more quickly than the water. So what's that doing to the wine, if that's true? Um, this, is, this is a sort of... This is an this interesting is a, question. This is a lot of good questions in whether to go with oak barrels or not. Um... Here's what we do know. The finest wines in the world are made in oak barrels. That's true. And if if there was a reasonable uh, 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 explanation to not go with oak barrels, I would think they'd be doing it. Well, but listen... That's we talked about this in Wine News. I'm totally open on the subject. No, we talked about this in Wine News a little while ago. And that was uh, the French have recently changed the law so that they didn't used to allow addition of um, oak product to wine. They've changed the law, too. And you don't think the French should be doing that if there were a strong reason for it. I would guess if they had a strong argument in favor of that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a strong economic um, benefit to adding oak product. But I I don't think they would have made that trade-off if they had a... Uh, a reasonable basis for our arguing that barrels were fundamentally superior. They wouldn't sacrifice the quality of their fine French wine. Just my theory. And how much? And how much? Um, evap- we're saying evaporation. I'm not so sure what that exactly means. We're talking about juice. We're talking about 15 percent, 13 percent alcohol. Was exactly e- evaporating at what rates? And how and and where is it going? Um, is there going to be no evaporation in some other container? Can we prove that? Or are we going to have the same relative amount, especially if it's alcohol, which has a a, a, a higher evaporation rate, or i.e. lower temperature, can evaporate over over juice and water? And would we, in essence, get the same effect if we had some sort of other container and just add oak to it? Hmm. A lot of questions. A lot of questions that we're not sure about. All we know is we're retiring an 03 barrel at the end of this year. <laughs> that we are. And uh, it, it will be interesting to play around over the next, um, you know, four or five years with other containers as we lose our other barrels. Hey, uh, Tim, um, I don't know if you were on the show earlier, but we were talking about the email you sent in. I don't know if you saw the email uh, from me regarding Carl, but... Um, the quick version, and you should probably go back and listen to the early uh, part Tim, of the show. Tim, but yeah, Tim, Tim is here. Oh, I wouldn't know I, that because <laughs> I can't. Okay. I, am, I am so tired of this. Next next time you are going to have your own monitor. Okay, I'm done with hearing about this I want this a projection point. screen. But uh, Tim, uh, Carl is willing to send. And no, seriously, I have a projector, and I'm going to put it on that wall. You're going to have a full-size display right up there, a passionate one. So. You will be passionate about your full-size projected talk show live <laughs> status chat. Uh, but Tim, Carl is willing to send you a uh, truck, route it right through Kansas City if you can get some friends together, maybe account for, who knows, five tons. So, um, you know, yeah, get, get the numbers together, and Tim, it will be well, well, it's well worth it, Tim. The stuff well you're getting stuck it. with is not good. Carl will hook you up. He's very sympathetic. He'll route one of his trucks through Kansas City next year. And you and your friends will be very happy campers. Get, uh, get a little club together in your area. Brilliant. Yeah, you'll be a hero. In fact, charge them $2 a pound and you'll get yours for free. 
<laughs> now you know where I live. <laughs> Did I mention our friend came in at Judo on the mound this year? Hey, uh, Jerry, I saw you uh, raise your hand to chime back in. Uh, yeah. Further comments on our evaporation theory here? Well, I just want to make a comment that uh, three years ago I did the Bourbon Trail in uh, Kentucky. Oh, one, 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 that's yeah. on my list of things to do, man. Good deal. Good. It is. They say that you know, 90% of the bourbons made within a 50-mile radius, and you visit all of them, staying in one hotel, just drive out to them. But the, you know, they put the uh, the clear alcohol, you know, the, the distilled distillate into the barrels, and the, all of the color comes from the barrels. But what they lose is water, not alcohol, because it goes in. Uh, and it comes out, uh, you know, a few years later at a higher proof. So you're losing water through the barrels and bourbon. Now they deliberately uh, force temperature changes uh, into it, in that the uh, warehouses that they keep them in are not uh, temperature controlled at all. So the temperature variance from uh, summer to winter is part of the process to force the bourbon in and out of the wood of the barrel. That may have something to do with it, but uh, in that scenario, they're losing water, not alcohol. Well, that brings up some more questions than answers. What's really happening? Because if you happening because if you look at basic chemistry, alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than water. Um, what are we losing, and how, and what's really going on in barrel uh, storage? A good, yeah, I wouldn't say it's evaporation. It has to move through the wood, uh, the liquid. So, so an osmosis uh, sort of process instead of a, instead of true evaporation into air, into into gas. And so the the water may be able to move through the white oak better than alcohol. I could see that evaporation off of the barrel. Right. That's an interesting theory. So ah, I'm back. So yeah, maybe we're keeping yeah. our alcohol like, and getting rid of some of that water. That would be. You now can, I'm you sold on barrels that. again. No matter, no matter what the answer is, that's our goal. <laughs> wow. Now that's interesting. So that's contraire to um, previous statements about um, you know the obvious that alcohol evaporates at a lower um, um, temperature than water. But now we're talking about. Sort of more of an absorption or osmosis, not osmosis necessarily, but the water is going to be sucked into the barrel out of the uh, out of the wine because in the in at least in terms of of whiskey production, uh, you end up with a higher alcohol content at that point, which means water's got to be going out, not the alcohol. All right, well, uh, here's a couple of and uh, I, wonder what the, I, wonder what, I wonder what the port people would say about this. Now you add another twist to it. All right, well, um, we have uh, Gordon and Jess chiming in at this point. Uh, Ooh, I Gordon think and Jess. Hello. Uh, both from California, Torrance, and uh, I lost the other one. I'll get it in a second. Uh, Jess says, I found some notes on a blog on evaporation, the research that exists seems to indicate that the water and ethanol, now i got to get to the rest of it. Oh, the Phillies are uh, trouncing New York. Oh, a must win. Two. A must win. Awesome. That's, yeah, good to know. Very good. Uh, so um, uh, they evaporate at roughly the same rate when the cellar humidity is about 70%. So, you know, there you go. Uh, the ethanol concentration. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me think about that. Seventy percent. 
<laughs> we are so far down a tangent that not that we ever constrain yeah, ourselves okay. to things okay. that we know anything about. We don't we know anything. We're totally <laughs> off the rails here on this show. But a 70% humidity would actually be pretty low, for at least for Western Pennsylvania. I mean, not for Phoenix. I mean, we're at 11% or 12%. Well, but inside, you know, we run air conditioning here, so 70% humidity. Um, but that's lower than outside. Oh, typical ambient air. Perhaps, but air. inside, we, I mean, we run a humidifier so, in the so winter. My, my point is that's lower than typical here or in most areas, and so water is going to be able to evaporate quicker, which is going to get it up to the same evaporation rate as alcohol. Is that his point? I've totally lost track of this. <laughs> I've totally lost track. By the way, but again, you don't have your wine sitting in an open container, so you really have to consider the movement of the liquid through the wood. So I like that yeah, thought. But that's got to be affected by relative humidity outside of the wood, outside of the barrel, for sure. Uh, yeah, at one level. If, if it's very wet it's, outside it's, it's, the barrel, yes, then yes, it's, it's got to affect how 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 water how uh, liquid's going to move through the oak. But that that's it's interesting because I don't know. I don't know, Dave. It sounds like we're buying spend a lot of money on oak barrels next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there might be. We a, we had this darn yeah, thing. No, I think there from all these smart people talking to us. I hate yeah. that. An argument. The, a winery uh, uses artificial humidity generation to the 80 to 90 percent relative humidity range to reduce ah. the total evaporation losses. They so will control humidity. Good point. Which you also need to do once you've bottled wine with corks. To, you've got to control humidity. Oh, I agree. In fact, let's, that's a perfect segue to the topic of tonight's show. We're talking about how long should a, you... Go ahead and say it. I'm a genius. <laughs> you are a genius. The, the other guy has accidentally, you know, even a blind <laughs> squirrel. A blind squirrel. I'm going to mute you again there, Jerry, but just raise your hand again if you want to chime back in. So we said we are going to talk tonight about... Uh, how you age your wines. This must be the other big bugaboo for home winemakers, right? It's a you, big you, one, you, right? It you is. get it in bottles, you want to start drinking it, and and yet it's not as good. In fact, do you remember the very first year, 2003, we're making the Zinfandel. When we press it, it's tasting really great. And then about four months later, we're tasting it. And it's like halfway, halfway to bottling. Halfway to bottling. We had new barrels. It that's was, really getting a lot. I, it tasted <clears throat> disgusting. We said, oh, my God, what did we do Something wrong? Something went wrong, right? right. I was making all these notes about things we won't do next year. And, in fact, it was just going through a, a stage. It's uh, a living Breathing thing. And and you'll note, if you go to the wine store, what, it's 2009 now, you won't find, other than like a um, uh, Nouveau, Nouveau Beaujolais or something right, like right. that, you're going to, it would be rare to find an 08. You know, the 07s are probably, you know, There's there. only so many of those. Exactly. And the finer wines, you're, you're going to have to go back so to six, so five. Right. So there's a reason that you keep wine, and yet uh, a winemaker, I mean, you've made this product, you love it, you want to start sharing it. Uh, the first year is the hardest, because if, it, if at least you can hold on to some of that first year stock, then the second year you can start drinking some of the first year stuff. But let's talk a little bit about, about aging it. You know, how long, um, you know, do you keep it in carboys, barrels, bottles, uh, where do you store the bottles, how important is 
light, humidity, vibration, pressure changes. Um, where do you want to start there, passionate one? Partners going in and going in and stealing wine in the middle of the night. <laughs> right. Things like that. Is that what you're talking about? Is that about? why you put that uh, wax uh, imprint on the uh, cellar do- door? Is that what that is all about? If I have a brilliance, and that's a big if, it is this. I have never been one to think I'm going to reinvent the wheel in anything any application in my life. None. Not I, a one? Well, other than art. I mean, when it comes okay, to, to music and painting, because then, you, then, then the whole goal is to try to like sort of reinvent the wheel. But when it comes to something like this, there are people whose entire careers and passion and lives and generations have dedicated themselves to making fine wine. What do they do in terms of aging, David? Do they age wine in barrels for six months, a year, 18 months, two years? We found an interesting thing on our trip to Italy that for a, um, an Italian um, Barolo, it Barolo, was a lot, right? It was a lot. a lot had to age. Was it two years or 18 months? In, I, in, in an oak barrel that was no more than two years old, I right. believe. So there, there were was, mostly there were very using, stringent rules. Right, new barrels, and I do believe it was... Basically new barrels, right? Yeah, they could be either new or they could be used once. And they aged it for two years. Two and years. And that was a, a, it had to a be, law. It had to be aged in the barrel for two years before bottling. Which you'd think with new be, barrels... To, to be able to be called a barrel. Yeah. So... That, but that that in that develops a certain style of wine. Yet that's not a law in Bordeaux, is it? No. That it has to be aged for two years. And what's the average aging time in a barrel? In well, a it depends infusion. on the barrel age too, right? As, as you know, um, when we first started, brand new barrels. Uh, You're going to get a lot more oak. Eight lot months, more. and man, you threw a lot of oak at them. Now, our barrels are actually half size, 30 gallons rather than 60 or 29 and a half. So we're getting more oak infusion. Right. You've got relatively more surface area compared to volume, so you're going to get more oak from a smaller barrel. But here's something folks need to know. Even the finest Bordeaux, whatever you want to pick in in the first growth, uh, or the the top, you know, Rothschilds and um, who who am I, oh my gosh, um, Lafitte? Yeah, the Rothschilds, Lafitte, and Mouton. Philippe. And, um, what else are you thinking of? Uh-huh. The five big ones. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah. Not, not, see. I've had too many crackers. <laughs> some more. You know what? They don't even, they, they move the wine through barrels. I mean, it will be so many months in a new oak barrel and then so many months in a, in a once used oak barrel. So it's not a stagnant definitive thing that each each year it's only in one barrel. They definitely have a progression. Now, I don't believe that they use a barrel more than two years, but they don't keep it the entire, store the entire time in one barrel. So what you're doing, I think the way to answer your question in a general way is you're crafting, you're crafting not art, maybe art, but you're crafting a product, in, and there's a lot of different ways to, to do that. Italy, to be a Barolo, it's got to be in a new cask, right. one-year-old, for two years. Well, that's not the case for other incredible wines. So, and then, is it 
hard toast, medium toast, heavy toast, what type of oak, um, a lot of variables there. The bottom line is, what's it taste like once it comes out of the barrel and goes into the bottle? Yeah. By the way, and uh, then I think you were thinking of either, was it Chateau Latour, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, Chateau Margaux? Those, those are the two, the, the two Rothschilds. Chateau Margaux and Chateau Aubryon. Aubryon, there's one more. Yeah, I don't know. The Wikipedia entry that I'm looking at here only has four. That's Wikipedia and for you. There's, I call it Petrus. Petru. P-E-T-R-U-S, I believe. Even more expensive than Rothschild. Yeah, what can I say? You know what, you know what, what I'm talking about? Yes, Very absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Someday, um, if I sell a house, I'll buy a bottle of that. <laughs> <laughs> Outrageously expensive. Outrageously. And we should, well, so, we're, we're going to spend a podcast about pricing and value and things at some point. That'll be, that will be a really good chat. So, folks, here's what we're doing. We, we do own three barrels, and they are American medium toast oak. And we also have a number of carboys where we will supplement uh, at five gallons at a time with a variety of things. We've got um, American oak that is everything from untoasted to heavy toast. Uh, we've got some varieties of uh, French oak. And, uh, you know, my, my personal feeling is that um, chips versus sawdust versus spirals, I mean, I go for whatever's probably less expensive. I don't think the, you know, the fancy spirals, which cost you so much money or whatever, they make racking a little easier. But frankly, get the chips or the sawdust. It works fine. Start around after a week, it sinks down. You can rack it off. Right, right. So you're, you're going to want to add that oak if you're going to do it that way. You're going to want to add the oak maybe after the first or second, uh, depending on how it's looking, racking, um, so that you're um, only going to have to rack that off one time. Right. Good thought. Right. And yeah, then then you're sort of into your normal uh, racking. You're going to rack four or five times anyway. Uh, but how long? Typically. But 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 then. I guess um, when you use oak the question chips, becomes how long do you leave the Yeah, one the to two wine. weeks with oak chips, you're probably one fine. One to two yeah. weeks? I think Not they, three or four months. No, no. I think because, you know what, because you've got it at a chip level or sawdust level, you get the extraction so quickly. And this is based on tasting. So I'm just saying based on uh, tasting. That's it, what I was hoping you were going to yeah, say. Exactly. Because this, this, to me, this is the art part of exactly. wine making, right? There's no science to this. Do you want a more oaky wine, less oaky, smoky? Taste it. And then say, done, rack it. Get right. It so in general, we've been storing in our barrels for, you know, when they're brand new, eight months. Um, you were making an argument Actually, last but, week. But our first, our first Zinfandel, you got all excited. And I think you jumped the gun, by the way. I'm just going to put that on the record. <laughs> At five, six months, you said, too much oak, too much right. oak. And we you took were, it you out. Had, you're right. You were you're shooting right. fireworks at my house. I said, stop already. Well, what, what you have to understand is you have to overshoot a little bit because what tastes very raw and oaky when it's, it's not gonna integrated. It's going to break down. Yeah, it is. It's going to mellow out a bit. And so, you know, it's you got to overshoot and then let it come back down a little bit. And so we actually, that first year, probably pulled it out a little bit early. And uh, then we had to supplement. 
Ah, live mm. and learn. Mm. Supplement by we actually added oak we juice added to the <laughs> bottles, and then it had to do a sort of a racking slash straining. But you know what? Even that, it still tasted good. It was a little more it work. Sure did. Boy, we put a lot of work into that first year between the hand to stem and <laughs> extra oak and all that. But now, as our oak barrels are aging, we just did a uh, cab uh, 08 from. Uh, Washington, Washington State, right. and you were arguing that even after a year and a couple of weeks, that maybe it wasn't oaked enough because we're five, six years into, into these, these barrels. barrels, and so which is two, three times, well, two to three times as long as the big boys go, which makes me think, okay, but do they go a full year? I don't. It depends on it depends what on you're trying to do. What Dave taste. Right. right. So, and I like the taste of this this Washington cab. So we'll see how it goes. You know, if it ends up with not enough oak, then you get something else and start some blending. There, you, there, and that will be the topic for yet another podcast. Welcome back, Gordon. He said Firefox crashed, so he disappeared for a while. Once again, we've wasted <laughs> quite a bit of your time. Can we get to? Uh, there's one. There's two things I like to get to quickly. This is just such an exciting time, so forgive us for, for going on tangents here. Um, like we've never done that on this which show Which we do before. even when it's not big wine time. But two things I'd like to hit quickly. One is um, the gadget for tonight. We, I, I had a gadget we talked about in the last podcast lined up, and my supplier fell short of the mark. <laughs> That's why we had a backup here. Yes. Because we were going to be using the magnets that attach to the the uh, neck of a bottle, uh, and as you pour it through, the magnets are supposed to do some kind of magic. And I'm not a I big voodoo guy, but it. I'm I telling you, two separate I'm times, a little skeptical. Two separate times, blind taste test, uh, taste testings. I picked the uh, the same wine going through the magnets. But tonight, very quickly, which is difficult for the numbers guy, but very quickly. If you could describe, it's not really a gadget so much, but um, it's, an it's a beautiful, wine it's, it's absolutely gorgeous, and uh, and it, it and it. But it's and not believe just it. the aesthetics. So, uh, to to summarize the aging, because this this little quote gadget directly relates. But to summarize the aging, I think you've got to figure out how long you want oak exposure. Oh yeah, brilliant. Um, if you want, um, uh, you know, if you're using barrels, you need to taste it. If you're using chips, it's more about the quantity you add and make sure you stir them up pretty well for a week and then rack it off. Um, once you put it in bottles, you know, you got it as you like it, I think you want to let it sit another year or two. I mean, try not to get into it too early. We're drinking the 07 now. And, and this, is, this is about as early as... Is come we'll drink. It. Two years is about the earliest. Exactly. So try to right. keep it two or three years because it does get better. It evolves as it ages. It's uh, the the chemicals and minerals are creating longer and longer molecules, more and more complex flavors and aromas, and and um, you know a lot of wines, especially the red wines, which we specialize in, are just gonna they're gonna get better to a point with age. But if you are a little impatient, that's where tonight's wine gadget comes in. So I think we've got, a, believe it or not, a gadget theme. In stereo. Magic. Welcome to the Cellar Dwellers Wine Gadget segment. 
if that a wine gadget in your pocket, or are you just glad to see me? David, absolutely brilliant. Uh, and by the way, you know the numbers guy, or sorry, the passionate one would never say that to the numbers guy. We're referring to David in California who uh, makes these wonderful themes for us uh, totally voluntarily without any direction whatsoever. So last time we were talking about the Venturi red wine aerator where you can pour water right or wine right through the aerator into a glass and sort of do it a glass at a time. Sort of quicken the... Um, well, the breathing. The breathing it, and oxygenation process. The reason it relates is that it does... Uh, I find if you decant or aerate, um, especially a young wine, and you have to be careful, an older wine, you'll totally ruin it by you know, aerating it or decanting it, but um, a younger wine will benefit. Frankly, sometimes I will decant our wine 6 or even 12 hours before serving it. And so we were talking about the Venturi last Which time. Which is why I've learned to show up early. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, by the time it's ready to, you know, done aerating, it's long gone. <laughs> Rich, you're late. <laughs> okay, again. so uh, the Venturi was 40 bucks, right? That's not an unreasonable price for a wine gadget. For an extra $300, so in other words, 340 and that's on sale relative to 395 believe it or not. Yeah, this is expensive. In this economy... By the way, this is from a website which I love as a wine gadget site, wineenthusiast.com. And in fact, I have acquired a few years back, look at, there's the picture from the website, and uh, acquired a few years back this uh, beautiful Riedel, um, uh, they call it the Venom Extreme Wine Decanter, but we just call it the Duck. And what's cool about it is it's got, I don't know, how would you describe this passionate one from a shape perspective? In a sense, it's a, uh, a, almost like a long bulb, like a giant Christmas ornament, but sort of flattened on the bottom. Right. Well, it comes to a point at one end, and on the other end, they've fused in sort of a, a funnel, uh, a longer, thinner funnel, to lead into the bigger bulb. So you've got this really gorgeous... Uh, Geometry, work of art. sort of, sort of sexy looking, and and the 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 funnel as you refer to it at the back that you would Acts fill it with is yeah. also the handle. Yeah, and then the at the front it is very long and narrow, so it pours in just a beautiful, elegant little stream. But being sort of in between a giant bulb, think of it laying sideways, flattened on the bottom, so it sits nicely. What you're getting here, you can pour a a normal wine bottle, 375 milliliter into here, and it's going to fill it up about halfway and it's going to create this very large surface area for the wine to breathe. So first of all, as you pour it down the funnel in the back, it's oxygenating it going in and then it's sitting there with a nice exposure. And especially for a, uh, a very young but fine quality wine, I think this is equivalent to another, again, if you do it a few hours ahead of time, aging it another year or two. Now, it probably wouldn't work on a brand new fresh wine. You're just not going to get it to a drinkable point. But you take a, a wine like the one we're having tonight, the 07 Syrah, and it's been sitting here now for a little bit over an hour, and it's really starting to open up. It's tasting more complex, a little more accessible. The oak's not so harsh. Uh, I think it is 
Um, frankly, this is uh, this is expensive because of the aesthetics. You can buy far yes, cheaper. The beauty of or it. heck, just take an empty bottle, put a funnel on it, and pour into it from another bottle, and you're and doing you, a lot of variation. Of the same, this doesn't the same. have to be expensive, but I right. think this is a really good trick for the home winemaker to get a put a better quality product into the glass of their favorite friends. But let me throw this out there, numbers guy. The real trick is knowing the wine that you're going to be drinking so well oh, that, that you, you know. know whether to drink it, pour it, and drink it, um, decant it one, two, three, six hours right. prior to consumption. Because I have had bottles of wine, especially older bottles, and let me tell you, they poured it out, and I took a taste, and, and this, these were with experienced people that know a lot more about this than I do, uh, poured out a, a, a bottle of uh, the one that's coming to mind as a, as a Lafitte. Took the first taste. They said, taste they, they said, just take a little tiny taste at the start, and it tasted horrid. Then taste it every five minutes. because Every five minutes? Every five minutes. Wow. Because it's evolving quickly. It's evolving quickly, and he said that... I believe in 20 minutes to half an hour is going to be perfect, but you've got, you've got ambient temperature, you've got temperature in the room, you've got humidity in the room uh, that can affect all of these complex chemistry that's going on with a beautiful living, breathing bottle of wine. And, and actually, as it turned out, about 15 minutes into after the, the pouring of the wine, he said, drink it now! He just yelled over the... And, and it was when it was... And it was amazing how it changed in 15 minutes. Wow. So, but that's, that was a, a oh gosh, that was a 70s vintage mm-hmm. uh, Lafitte. Um, and those will go much, much faster. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Right. As, As you can imagine, newer. something that's been stored up for a couple of decades. Right. We're talking but, about uh, we're a talking two-year-old bottle of wine. You could decant it for a few hours right. and, and sort of increase a year or two possibly, at least in theory, to its aging. Well, in fact, one of my favorite uh, experiences ever along these lines was um, we were drinking um, BV, Bolu Vineyards, uh, Georges de la Tour, which is their you know, top-of-the-line reserve. Uh, typically goes for about $100 a bottle. Yeah, well, in fact, we've had that on the show in the past. We have, and um, it... Um, uh, Numbers guy paid for it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Somehow, not, you not always not showed up with the $12 bottle. I'm passionate about dead presidents, too. I, apparently. <laughs> uh, to make a long story short, we only finished half the bottle that night, and we left it without doing anything to it till the next day. And the next day when we tasted it, it was this totally other, amazing wine. I mean, it, it just... Better. Oh, be- definitely better. Oh, you had a great one. Really? Yeah. Uh, wow. A whole 24 hours later. Just see that. So it's a little unpredictable. Yeah, it is unpredictable. It's definitely unpredictable. Now, that was a relatively younger, supreme quality wine, and so I think you can sort of push it So that, it that one far. held up for a day. For a day. But again, that was this was probably a six-year-old bottle of yeah. a premium wine. And that particular wine, they may even say don't drink for 10 years, right? Yeah, so maybe what possibly. you did put it right to its premium point, which may have been 10 or 12 years right. down the road, right? Now, let's dispel one myth along these lines, and Uh-oh. that is the idea of uncorking a bottle and letting it sit. I claim that you accomplish virtually nothing 
by uncorking a bottle because to let it breathe. Yeah, to let it breathe. As people say. You're giving about, you know, one square inch not even. But how but here's here's my and, and I've heard people say this besides you. Which means Which means but what chemically that exposure can you tell me definitively that it does not chemically affect the rest of the bottle, even possibly rapidly, with that oxygen exposure. I don't think it could be rapidly because, you know, you have, I'm going to say half a half But you're an talking inch. about a chemical reaction that once oxygen's in there can affect chemical yeah, reactions. Yeah, but you're not going to get that much oxygen touching a half square inch of wine. But it's the processes that that triggers. <laughs> it's not necessarily totally... You're thinking, what, like gunpowder. You <laughs> light it and all of a sudden, boom. Exactly. No, I don't exactly. think it goes like that. No? I think we need a certain amount of oxygen to, to connect with these different so you're molecules. you're saying just uncorking does isn't nothing. enough? Nothing. 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 Virtually nothing. Oh, I want to hear the email next year. Yeah, let's see if anyone wants to dispute that. I think you actually have to, at a minimum... Uh, again, with a relatively young bottle, at least pour it into another bottle. You've got the all of the I.e. Decant, stirring, decant. right, decanting all the stirring of all that wine that touches all that oxygen as it pours. Again, this just goes from experience, but I think just uncorking actually does nothing. But if you uncorked hours before and did nothing with it, and then see this is, this is how complex it could be, and then decant right before drinking. And here's my theory: ah, you ruin the top half ah. inch of the wine <laughs> because it gets too much oxygen, and then you get down further, and it's fine. I don't know. I don't like that I idea. I think your understanding of the complex chemistry in a bottle of wine is minuscule. Uh, and you know what? I'm just going to agree. I, with I that. might be wrong. No, so I'm agreeing with that. But I think that's probably true of everyone. Um, so I say decant or get one of these nice Riedel extreme thingies. Uh, it's gorgeous. And it's a beautiful. I, it's, and, I and honestly own this my whole life. It is I use absolutely it, gorgeous. You know, a, a few dozen times a year. It's always a great conversation starter. So, you know, 340 bucks versus. Um, Wait, is, is that about the cheapest price you found on it? Yeah. Because that's I about what, I, what it was in a local shop here in Pittsburgh. I went to a wine tasting two weeks I ago. I think I paid less than $300, as I remember. Because it, it was, was about 350 there. So, but it is, uh, if you've got someone you're thinking of a great wine gift, oh, yeah. this would this be is, on the top of the list. For you know sure. what? Absolutely. They, they will have one and they will love it forever. So, yes. yeah, definitely a good way to get in. All right. Uh, I think we're going to our um, last, well, maybe not quite the last topic of the night, but that's wineenthusiast.com. Lots of great wine gadgets. I bought a lot of stuff there. Um, maybe we'll talk about a few of the others coming up, but I think we need a little bit of wine news. One wine news. One wine news okay i've got a great wine news here better than yours you do have a wine news there if you want to do one underneath your agenda no you 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 can bore the crap out of everybody Go ahead. <laughs> oh no you're gonna want this baby you are <laughs> going to want this i want right. this really bad it turns out this just in you forget <laughs> that every thank time. you for chiming in there my wine one. news blow yours out the back door go ahead <laughs> Do you... Um, I'm pouring from the duck, by the way. Yes. Have, let me just uh, sort of set this item up. Have you ever played, like, Roller Coaster Tycoon or any of those similar I'm games? I'm familiar with it, but I've not wasted not my time doing well. that. Believe me, you are about to cross over because the company that has made all those other games has just released, this is today's breaking news, November 2nd, 
wine tycoon. So you get to plant. No way. Pick, press, and pour in a computer simulation game that lets you run your very own French vineyard. Now get this. Oh, this is brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I, I love, you know, you know, I've run some companies. I've been a CEO. I love this guy. He is the CEO of Got Game Entertainment. Now, probably normally he assigns his minions to go out and do the research. But in this case, no. The CEO of the company raises his hand and said, you know what, guys? Um, I will do the research for this game, the wine tycoon. And... Um, the guy's name is uh, Colin Courtney. He is the company's director of development and the CEO, and he says, over the years, I've gained a passion for wine and had the opportunity to travel throughout Europe visiting top vineyards and champagne houses. With the help of two other researchers, we've pulled together the information needed to make this game as accurate as possible while keeping the game flowing and fun. So there's two levels of play. There's sort of the free play and the career. I think any of our listeners are going to want the career mode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, seriously, it's, uh, it sounds like very intense. You um, have to uh, plant your vineyards and tend to the vines. Uh, after your grapes are harvested, you sort them, you press them, you ferment them, you uh, can you control sort them. The, How do you do this on a computer, sort them? I guess you have certain choices. You've planted your vineyard with different varieties, and maybe you can hand do stem. Ah. I don't know how far they go in this, uh, organic versus not. Uh, but you can actually control the flavor and the quality of wine during the fermentation process. You can blend different wines together. And ultimately, you choose how long to age, and then you get different prices. And so you have to optimize aging versus... See, this is a good wine news story, folks. And it's $20, and you can be a wine tycoon and run your own French chateau. You get the castle and everything. That is very cool. I'm loving it. Let me add one... If I were would have been would have been smart enough to come up with that game, here's what I would do annually. The top I don't know how I don't know if it's scored or if it's just competition one no, it on is, one. It is scored it is and scored. people show up to buy your winery. Okay, now here's what I would do. If I had come up with that smart enough, yes. I, at the end of the year I would give them oh, I like taste. I like your thinking. Fabulous wines Ooh. that were maybe geared along the lines of what they did. I is that, like br- that is even more brilliant idea. You know, why don't we write to Courtney and suggest that he should that. do that? And oh my gosh, I would actually buy the game if he do that. I like your thinking. You know, that and is the such a cool. Fly him out to that California. Is such a cool is social a cool networking idea? idea. All they got to do is put that on their blog and. You know, I, I say we do some research because we could partner up with these guys Let's and help this guy fly us out and <laughs> give us <laughs> right, well, a little consulting contract. And <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, well, let's close off tonight. Boy, you know, we've uh, run long here, as um, is typical. We're an hour and a half into we the show. We've run long. <laughs> Shocker. I'm shocked. Shocked uh, if I'm gambling in my business. Exactly. Uh, but I did want to touch, touch on uh, Wine Jobs. Uh, great website, winejobs.com. Hey, you know what? If you're out there and you're listening to the show and you're thinking, you know, I'm not really getting out of my life what I wanted to, here is a very simple wine job. It's not going to be too hard. 
It's in Tucson, Arizona. Now, I went to college at University ah, of Arizona. Hour Tucson. and a half south of my uh, Yeah, you're hanging there. in Phoenix. So right. Tucson's a little higher in elevation, little smaller city, sunniest city in the U.S. 16 days a year, you're going to have to put up with clouds, but other than that, it's sunshine. All and, three of them. <laughs> exactly. It's beautiful. And uh, you can be the uh, full-time wine manager at Wine & More, which is America's wine superstore, three-time recipient of Retailer of the Year Award, uh, $750 million in annual sales at this chain, and you can be a part of it. They are passionate about having the best selection of wine, beer, and spirits anywhere, strong relationships with wineries around the world. And you know what? If you're just not getting everything you want out of life, I say... Put the house on the market, put the wife in the car, or the girlfriend in the car, or the dog in the car, drive to Tucson and get a job at this fabulous wine establishment and then you know call us to thank us. Yeah, what for a your new life. What a, I mean I have to say, being uh, uh, a half uh, Phoenician, um Arizona, y- you'll dig it. It's a it's a beautiful you'll state it. and you know, why suffer through another six oh. months of snow oh. and cold? In and you can always drive Canada. or fly up. You can drive a few hours up to Flagstaff. Or my, I took my family up to oh, uh, one Telluride of my ride and your favorite, and favorite ski resorts. Telluride last year was only a, a, a half a day's drive or a day's drive up to there. Ah, go for it, man. Good if you're stuff. unhappy, do it. All right. Well, hey, we'll be back with our next show in four weeks. Four weeks on from tonight. Monday night. I don't and know. And we'll let you know how our, oh, my gosh, we have more varietals of more variety, yeah, I think, than got, ever. We've, uh, we've got four different ones going this year. Three is our previous peak, about 2,000 pounds in total, which will translate to about 700 bottles. Which was That's a good, about good haul. Three for... The other guy and six hundred ninety-seven <laughs> for the numbers. That's how the math works. That's why he's the numbers guy. Well, hey, thanks a lot, everybody, for uh, joining in as well. Uh, we had a bunch of people on the chat tonight, which is fine. Oh, I see Bike and Fool showed up Bike there at the end. Fool. Yeah, Jerry, thanks for sending an email. Tim, we covered your email uh, earlier in the show. Ah, if I the, only had a computer, I would have been talking yeah, to Bike you, and we'll, Fool. We'll have a projector for you. I heard plenty of this. Uh, plenty. Uh, uh, this uh, Gordon and Jess uh, joined in. Um, we're going to see if Carl Gordon and Jess weren't they weren't they a singing duo in the early sixties? Uh, yeah, there was a third member of that uh, trio, wasn't there? No. Yeah. No. She just died. No. There's only two in a duo. Gordon. <laughs> All right. Well, on that. Hey, how about a toast to the uh, 07 here? Yeah, you're gonna. There we go. There Beautiful. We go. And I think we've even got some outro music here we can put on. Whoa, Folks, uh, email us at uh, cellardwellers at talkshoe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends, and um, I'll try to get the numbers guy to let other voices pitch in <laughs> in a month. <laughs> I think you got uh, quite a bit of talking in on this show, really. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Catch you next time. I need to see that screen. We'll get you the screen by next show. Well, when I get my... Uh, I've got everything wired up for uh, the projection TV. I'd love to do a show from a projection TV where we sit That's back That's what we're going to do. Let's sit back in your chairs, put it on the screen. Oh, my God. All right, we got a plan, folks, for next time. That is brilliant. That's brilliant. See, All right. You need my brilliance. How do you survive without my brilliance around you 24 
Okay, so the next show, we're going to be in these beautiful white leather chairs. Yes. We're going to be looking at the 110-inch projection ah. screen with Drinking the Talk Show Live client right up there. Are, are you going to be satisfied? I will, because I'll at least have access to some of the uh, interaction, and my gosh, we'll, we'll be on Oprah before you know it. <laughs> All right, well, with that... Uh, <laughs> Jerry says that way. We can tell Tog every time he says his name, <laughs> which the listeners um, and chatters. I have you. let it so, go the last few times. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we've been a little bit lax in that department. But uh, anyway, that's getting to be an old joke, and man, we love it. The people are chiming in. Okay, everyone, we're gonna wrap up the recording right there. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.